Children are dismissed if they haven't run out already. Uh, I know the screen's been up there for a few minutes, so if there's any lingering children, uh, I think they're all gone at this point. Well, before I, before I introduce my brother Joel, he's going to come up here and he's, gonna, he's got the message for us this morning. I just want to say during that song, one of the, the lines in that last song, it says, my shame is undone. And I just really felt the Lord was saying that for somebody here, when you enter the presence of God, the enemy tries to hit you with shame. And that's the feeling you get. And I just want to say that's not the Lord. He doesn't bring shame. Our shame is undone in his presence. And so uh, I don't know if you like, need permission for that or, or you know, whatever that means. That You can come into the presence of the Lord and not feel shame. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't feel shame. When you're in his presence, you should feel that, that, that well, one song we sang today, the more, the more I seek you. That's like what my favorite song of all time. And because it's, it's this idea of being wrapped up by the father and just, just leaning back into him and his arms. That's the feeling you get when you're in his presence. Doesn't mean that sometimes we don't feel the weight of our sin, but there is no shame in that. And so, I don't know who that's for this morning, but I know that's something the Lord was trying to communicate. If you didn't hear it clearly enough from him, he sent me to reiterate uh, that idea that your shame is undone in his presence. But I want to invite my brother Joel up. Joel is the director of church planning. Did I get that right? Probably not. Uh, There's probably some other name for that title, but I've gotten to know Joel a lot better over the last year. We did some awesome trainings and uh, together and uh, really got to know uh, him and uh, his spirit for the Lord. And so he's going to, he's continuing in our love. Uh, uh, that is not the right title. I'm noticing that now. It says love one another. Uh, our truth and love series, truth and love together series. Uh, so we're going to be continuing in that and just want to hand it over to my brother, Joel. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. I'm really glad to be with you, so thank you for welcoming me. I feel your welcome this morning, and I've really grown in my love and appreciation for your pastor and his family. Um, one thing I can tell you about your pastor is that uh, he has a revelation of God's love that's been imparted into his life, and you heard some of that just come out of him even now. And that means he gets to then give that to you, and I know that he loves you. And so um, it's, it's just really great to be here. A year ago last week, Bruce and I were talking, wait, wait a second, last week, a year ago, that's what I meant to say. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Bruce and I were in Seattle together, actually, with some uh, other leaders, church leaders and church planters from the Christian and Missionary Alliance that had gathered there as well as some other denominations. And, um, and it was just such a great time just learning more about how to follow Jesus on mission. So Bruce already told you, I'm the director of church planning for the Western Pennsylvania District. That's a relatively newer role for me, so I've been in that role a couple of years now. Um, before that, I was on staff at the Gospel Tabernacle, which is one of your sister churches in Aliquippa. Um, I was on staff there for 15 years. Actually, some of these roles overlapped a little bit. Um, And my wife and I were originally involved in some youth development um, uh, ministry there. We started a youth development organization in the community 18 years ago now. And that's where we still live and on a personal level where we still do ministry. 
Um, but over time, after that youth development organization got started, a whole family of nonprofit organizations, businesses as mission, house churches got started really across Western Pennsylvania. So another role I play is I, as I co-direct that, that network, that family of ministries uh, that now extends actually from Somerset um, going into Ohio. And so I just, it's one of my greatest privileges to walk beside people who are, you know, hearing a call from God to follow Jesus on mission in their neighborhoods. I don't know how familiar you are with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Western Pennsylvania, but uh, part of our story here is of God really powerfully encountering people and then really ordinary, everyday people following Jesus on mission in their own neighborhoods. And really, that's how a lot of our churches started. How old is this church now? You guys are coming up on your 100th anniversary. Congratulations. Yeah, so the Gospel Tabernacle where I pastored, I think, has turned 106 this year. So a lot of our churches in Western PA started about 100 years ago as the wind of God's Spirit was blowing over Western Pennsylvania. And people caught these visions, you know, to start gathering people in prayer and worship and getting on mission in, in their neighborhoods. We really started as a multiplying church planting movement. And I don't know if you feel this or you know it or not, but we really today on the earth are living in the days of the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. Do you know that more people have come to faith in Jesus and been baptized in water in the last 25 years than all previous 2,000 years of church history combined? Do you know that? Um, and it does mean the King is coming back. It means we are approaching that day. And today on the earth, there are viral church planning movements. I've, got to, I've been able to spend some time with some of those church planning movements, especially in South Asia. And I'm just telling you, you can't even wrap your mind around the way God is drawing people to himself, extending his hand in signs and wonders, uh, moving people to care for the poor and the oppressed, and the way that all of this, you know, God's power and good works is drawing people to himself. Whole communities are being transformed. Now, there is one continent that really doesn't have that kind of viral movement, aside from Antarctica. I don't think Antarctica does, but there's, there's another continent that doesn't have that kind of viral movement, and it is North America. Um, every other continent today, has that kind of viral movement. We're, we're the ones that are praying and asking God to do it in our time. But I have no reason, friends, to believe that Jesus is going to pass us by. Right? There's something in the heart of revival that is, that is a prayer that says, Jesus, do not pass us by. Right? And as people cry out to God for that, I just believe that He won't. You know, He'll turn back and hear our cries for mercy. Right? And, and empower and renew. And I'm praying that the wells that were dug in western Pennsylvania all those years ago will be reopened in our time, you know, um, to see the move of God in our region. So I just want to thank you for praying and participating and being part of this story because you are part of this story of what God is doing. Um, already we're seeing some exciting things happen. Um, in 2023, we're going to be starting, and I won't get into too much detail about this, but we're starting 
of what we're calling multiplication hubs. And these are basically collaborations of church planters, ministry leaders, and legacy churches uh, like yourself. Um, churches that have been around a long time um, coming together and starting to dream together and especially pray and fast together about what it could look like for movement to happen in their, in their region. And so some of these hubs will be starting initially, especially in the city of Pittsburgh, but I don't think for one second that that's the only place we're going to see movement. And so, um, so I just want to bring you that good report. By the way, do you know that there, you know, these movements, missiologists, you know, people who study mission, um, as they look at these global movements that are, that are on the earth today of people coming to faith in Jesus, they think there's something like 4,000 of them or something like that, kind of these viral multiplying church planning movements. Um, do you know that there is one universal norm that characterizes every single one of these movements? These movements in many ways represent different denominations, different worship styles, different origin stories, certainly different cultures. But do you know that there is a, a universal norm that every single one of these movements has? And do you know what it is? That first, these movements are movements of prayer and fasting. Um, it is the universal norm for every one of these movements that somewhere, somehow, people started to call on the name of Jesus right, and expect that his spirit would move. So that's something we can begin to participate in today, right? That's something we can jump into today. We can expect, right, that our God is good and gracious and merciful and will hear our prayers. All right, I get to today be part of your sermon series, which that's such a blessing. And so uh, we're going to be looking at 1 John. That's my understanding is you've been in 1 John. If you haven't, you are today, all right? So 1 John chapter 4. Um, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6 in just a minute. So um, we're talking some today about discernment, particularly this question that John gets into for us, which is how can we tell the difference between the Holy Spirit and other spirits? Because um, not every spirit is holy, right? Scripture teaches the reality of fallen spirits or demons, And so John is answering this question for the early church. How do we tell the difference between the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is himself God, as we confess in the ancient creeds, and spirits that are not God, and not only are not God, they're not angels either, they're fallen, right? Angels that are irredeemable, right? It's amazing, isn't it, that God loves us, you and me, more than he loves angels, right? that once angels fall, there's no opportunity for their redemption. But when people fell, God went to great lengths to secure their redemption, right? And so he loves us more than them. It's just so simple. Apparently, even the angels understand this. They kind of scratch their heads at it, but the angels even understand that we, human beings created in the image of God, have been the objects of his mercy in a way that they have not been, right? So for the angels who fell, who participated in rebellion against God, they are evil or wicked, and there is no opportunity for their redemption, and they know it. Their time is short, we're told, in the book of Revelation, and that increases their anger, their warfare against the saints, right? Because they know that their time is short. They know that this war has already been lost. And so we live, what Scripture teaches, if Scripture is defining our reality, which it should, then 
Scripture teaches that we live in this world with these unseen realities, right, of the Holy Spirit working among us and um, God himself, his presence working among us, and as well as angels and demons. And so John is answering this question, how do we know the difference between the Holy Spirit and spirits that are not holy or spirits that are evil? It's an important question to answer because I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being deceived, like truly deceived. I'm not, I'm not talking about like, you know, someone like told you a lie, you know, or someone said a half-truth to you, or even that someone didn't like follow through on their promise and, and you felt betrayed by that or whatever. I'm talking about like really, really deceived. Unfortunately, that is part of my story and part of my experience. Um, I've been genuinely deceived by people. I'm talking like, like I thought one things were one way and it turned out it was nothing like that, right? Well, I hope you've never been through anything like that, but if you have, then maybe, and I hope you have, had a similar healing experience uh, uh, that I've had to go through. And a lot of that has had to do with God restoring my ability to tell what's true and what isn't, right? To be able to tell, you know, what's reality and what's not reality, because those are some of the wounds that I carry, right? And even still, I have to lean into relationships that I trust, because if you've ever experienced that kind of deep deception, then... it affects you even for years later. So there's sometimes I have to lean into relationships that I trust to help me keep a hold on reality, right? And on God's truth, right? To help understand and make sure, right, that that I'm grounded in reality, right? So I'm very grateful that the Apostle John takes us here, that he helps us understand what it looks like to tell the difference between God's own spirit and evil spirits that are in the world. So let's read this passage together. We're just going to read six verses together. Hey, you know what? I don't, I don't know if this is your normal practice, but I would love it if you would stand in honor of God's word. Could you do that for me? And let's just read this passage in its entirety. It says, Dear friends, Bruce told me to shake the mic if it went out. <laughs> It worked. (laughs) I got the shake. I got the Dubois shake. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, The word of God. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So Lord, we don't want to just learn about your spirit today and how to recognize him. We actually need him to open our eyes. And so we pray that you would be present among us. Lord, take 
the words that the Apostle John wrote so long ago and make them the wisdom of God for us um, to understand how you're working in the world and to join you in that work. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. The Apostle John actually commands us, it's actually a command that he puts on the church to test the spirits to be alert enough, awake enough. Actually, it was really interesting that we're on this passage because for weeks now in prayer, and I'm not even fully sure the meaning of it, but for weeks now in prayer, every time I get alone with the Lord, um, I keep hearing him say another passage in Scripture, to be sober and alert, to be sober and alert, to be sober and alert. And it's certainly the spirit of that that John is calling us to here in his letter, to be aware that not every spirit at work in the world is the Spirit of God. That there are fallen spirits that are deceiving. And the worst part of being deceived, right? I've had the experience of actually being deceived for long lengths of time. The worst part of being deceived by a spirit or by another person is that you don't even know you're deceived, right? It's a real captivity that only God can free us from. Right, And if that threat is present in the world, then John commands the church, you and me, people following God, following Jesus in the world, to test the spirits. Well, how do we do that? How do we test the spirits? I think it's an important question, by the way, because I meet lots of people who just have trust issues who think they're discerning. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, it's like, oh, I have the spirit of discernment. I don't like them. It's like, no, you just don't like them. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no, you just have trouble trusting people, right? So John here is going to tell us what it actually means, right? To test the spirits and to know the difference. And really, it's very simple. Man, we complicate this stuff. But for John, it's really very, very simple He centers the testing of the spirits on a person. And that person's name is Jesus. He says in verse 2, let me get back there. He says in verse 2, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And we're going to say more about this in a second, what it means to to center Jesus in this work of discernment, right? Of what is holy and what is not. These spirits, you know, possess people. What it means for a true prophet to be possessed by the Spirit of God and what it means for false prophets, which he mentions in this passage, to be possessed by the wrong spirit, right? Or by evil spirits. Well, how do we know the difference? Well, we center on this man, Jesus, right? And he becomes the fault line for what is from God and what is not. Now, before we flesh out like what that means, it's worth noting for a second what we do not center our discernment on. Because if Jesus is the fault line for what is from God and what is not, it means that we can have the wrong fault lines, right? And I think especially in the day in which we live, where we have so much trouble trusting each other, where it's so easy to demonize one another, It's important to remember that while there are true and false spirits in the world, it is is also not helpful to center our work of testing, our, our work of discernment, the wrong standard of judgment, right? On the wrong fault line. So here's some 
Here's some fault lines that I do not think are helpful. We can't say, well, it's only the Holy Spirit if I've seen it happen in church before. Right? And a lot of us do this. You know what I mean? It's like, well, I've never seen the Holy Spirit work that way before or work in a person like that before. It's, I've been in church for years and I've never seen you know, that happen, whatever that is. But we can't use our experience of church as the measuring stick for what is from God and what isn't. Because don't you think, I mean, don't you think what I'm saying is reasonable that like God could do something that we haven't seen him do before? Right? <laughs> that, he could, that he could work in a way that we've never observed before, that our church experience hasn't encompassed everything that God could do among a people, right? And in a place. I've seen the Holy Spirit do things sometimes and, and, and came to understand that it really was the Holy Spirit, but I also thought, man, I've never seen that before. You know, I've, I've, never, I've never experienced that before. It's new for me, but it turns out there's always more of God to experience, right? And he very often is willing to take us into the territory of new dimensions of experiencing him. The, the measuring stick, the fault line, can't be if I'm comfortable with it or not. This is connected, right? But I've been in rooms where the Holy Spirit was working, and I thought, man, I'm not comfortable. C- crazy story, I wasn't uh, planning on sharing this. But I was in South Asia once at a, at a gathering of about 500 pastors in India. And a friend of mine preached on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And when he asked, does anyone in this room want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I've never been in a room where hundreds of people ran, I'm not exaggerating, ran to the altar. And we started to pray for people to receive, you know, more of the Spirit of God, you know, in their lives. And, um, and I, I know I, I don't completely have words for this, but it was like there was like a, it had a spatial dimension. It was like there was a cloud in the room. I'm not saying I physically saw a cloud, but it was like God's presence was that real. And it was almost like you could touch your hand in it. That night, for hours, we ministered to people, and it was almost like everyone we touched got healed. If they had a demon, it came out, right? God's power. At some people, it was like electricity was coursing through them. I kid you not. And in the midst of that, it, that might sound wonderful to you, but I'm just telling you, like we were just singing, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, right? Well, sometimes he might do that, right? And I'm just, I'm just telling you, I, I, was, I, I remember exactly what I was doing. I was praying for this woman with a friend of mine, and God's power is just like pouring onto her, like you can see it, Right? And I remember thinking in my mind, like in the back of my mind while we're ministering, God's presence is so strong in this room, we could die. That was the thought I had. I'm like, we might die. <laughs> like, I might not make it out of here, right? So if the standard is our comfort, right? If the standard is just if we feel good around the Spirit of God, right? It's the wrong fault line. We're probably going to miss things, right? Like that can't be what we center discernment on. And this is important for you to know because, you know, some people are hungry for the Spirit of God, but then he shows up and does something that's not in their church experience, or he shows up and does something that makes them uncomfortable, and all of a sudden we're claiming that we have the gift of discernment, and we know what's from God and what's not. But the fault line is just our own comfort level, our own experience. What a limited way to judge what God could or could not do in a place, Right? Um, the fault line can't be my agenda. The Holy Spirit, in, in very many ways, the story I just shared, is a wild spirit. Right? He'll do what he wants 
right, to do. He'll move in the ways he wants to move, right? So we can't make him like fit our agenda, right? Or what we want. The fault line can't be what we think should happen in our community or what we think should happen in our family or what we think should happen in our church. I can tell you, I've been a pastor for many years. The Holy Spirit has never obliged my agenda, right? Like, he will do what he wants to do. Or this. Here's, a, here's another fault line I don't think we can use in discernment. I think sometimes we look at somebody, especially you know, in this day with our phones and all the videos and news and social media that we consume, I think sometimes there's a tendency to look at someone out there and we like the way they sound. You know, a celebrity or a politician, or even a pastor. We like the things they say. We agree with what they say. And we assume that if the Holy Spirit speaks, he's going to sound like them, right? Or, and in and, and the day in which we live, there's a lot, a lot of this that goes on. There's a celebrity, a pastor, a politician that we just think is like the worst, right? Like we hate them, right? Like we watch their videos just to get angry. You know what I mean? Like, just to get worked up, you know, if we need a little energy for the day. And we know that if anybody even sounds like them a little bit, they can't be from the Spirit of God, right? Because we're associating that person with someone that we don't like, right? So we create all these filters, my comfort, my church experience, what my denomination does and says the Holy Spirit can do, what this Bible teacher or this politician or this celebrity says the Holy Spirit can and cannot do is, is, the, is the way God working among us doesn't remind me of them in some kind of way. We create all of these other filters. Let's just let all that go. Let's just drop all of that. Because John says something far more simple, very clear. And clarity is what we need. If deception is the issue, clarity is what we need, right? And he makes it very clear by centering discernment of the Spirit on one person. And it's Jesus. This is how you recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So what does this mean? That the discernment of the Spirit of God is centered on Jesus. Well, first of all, and we know this from the New Testament's teaching on the nature and the person of the Holy Spirit, then in the mystery of the Trinity, right? One God and three persons. We don't believe in three gods. We worship one God in three persons who existed in three persons for all eternity past in perfect love. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Spirit. The Spirit loves the Father. But one thing we learn from the Scriptures in the mystery of the Trinity is that the Holy Spirit loves to exalt the Son. The Holy Spirit loves to bring attention to the Son. The Holy Spirit loves to point out the Son to you and to me. As a matter of fact, all of us, if you're in this room and you're in Christ, you're in Christ because at some point the Holy Spirit of God came to you and pointed out to you the Son whose name is Jesus, opened your eyes to the reality of the Son. Even if other spirits were were confusing you. And even if false spirits were scram- trying to scramble the message, somehow the Spirit of God broke through that, right? 
and revealed to you Jesus. This is what the Spirit of God does. So how can you tell in a room if a room is a Spirit-filled place? Is it because I understand everything that's happening in the room? Is it because everything in the room fits my church experience? Is it because what's in the room sounds like someone that I like to listen to you know, on my phone? It's not any of that. It's very simple. Is, is the room making Jesus wonderful? Are you following me? Is the room lifting up Jesus? Is the room's attention on Him? Is the room exalting? I wasn't planning on sharing this story, but quick story. A few weeks ago, I got to, I got to preach at Jolt, our youth conference here in um, the junior high youth conference in the Western PA district. I grew up going to that conference. And I was, um, I think it was like Saturday night or whatever, I was, I was preaching on the filling of the Spirit. And man, just testimony, because this is happening in our district. Uh, the very first night with these kids, I had two of my own kids there. I have an eighth grader and seventh grader. They're at the retreat, right? And two of my own kids are there with like, I don't know, 200, 300 middle school students, right? And our very first time together, God's Spirit showed up so powerfully. So now we're like three services in. I'm preaching on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're like a good ways into the service. I'm just telling you what happened. It was just two or three weeks ago, less than a month ago. We're, we're into the service and we're worshiping. And there's a young woman over here. And I, I can't see her that well. You know, it's a dimly lit room. And... Uh, she begins to, to manifest like a demonic spirit. Like this will happen when God's presence really begins to show up in the place. And man, there were youth leaders there just ready to minister God's love to her and provide modesty to it so she wouldn't be embarrassed. They just wrapped around her, did a beautiful job ministering to her. But I took the mic and stood up on the platform like this because all the kids are like, what's happening? You know what I mean? And I just said, hey, don't look at her. Everyone look at me. Everyone look at me. And I said, listen, Sometimes when God's presence, you know, shows up, um, it draws out things, you know, that are in hiding. I said, let's just, let's just worship Jesus, right? Guys, this room of middle schoolers for, I don't want to exaggerate, but I'm telling you, it was like 45 minutes to an hour. They just sang the name of Jesus over and over and over again. Now, in the midst of that, some strange things happened. Some kids weren't able to stand up anymore. And they had to like get on the floor. Why? Why? I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know why that stuff happens. I really don't. You know what I mean? But there, but there they are, right? Some kids, as they worshiped and prayed, these are middle schoolers in our district. As some kids began to worship and pray, they started to worship and pray in other languages. What? It's weird, huh? I mean, it happens in the Bible, but it's whatever. They started doing it right? <laughs> like, other kids are like, you know, trembling, and some kids are crying, and some kids are laughing, and if you would have looked out that, across that room of middle schoolers in the Western PA District of the Christian Missionary Alliance, by the way, I didn't even get to my sermon that night. I had a good sermon, too, ready. But anyway, but it's like, how do you judge like what's happening? Is it because we got to the sermon and it was a good sermon? Is it because what's happening in the room is stuff I've seen in church before? Is it because it makes me comfortable or uncomfortable? No, the question is, the Holy Spirit will always exalt the Son. And I would say that when you have a room of middle schoolers singing over and over and over again the name of Jesus for an hour, I think with confidence we can test the Spirit, Right? 
and say, well, this must be the Holy Spirit. Because a demon would never do that, right? A demon would never inspire praises to Jesus from middle schoolers, right? It felt like for a minute we were caught up in what heaven is doing and always does and will do for all eternity, right? We were caught up with what God is doing, right? That's how you can tell the Holy Spirit. All all the other stuff, I'm going to be honest with you, I I don't even understand it all. Was it all the Holy Spirit? Was it some of the, you know, these are kids? Was it some, were they just emotional or something? I don't know. All I know is, in the room, Jesus was being lifted up. So according to the Apostle John, I can be confident in saying that if we test the spirits, this is the Holy Spirit working in our midst, whether I'm comfortable with it or not, whether I get to preach my sermon or not. All right? And we're told in John, secondly, that the Spirit will always affirm the Son's identity. In other words, there's affection for Jesus that the Spirit of God will draw out of us to sing his name like that, right? There's affection that he cultivates. But also, the Spirit of God won't contradict the Word of God, amen? And will affirm the identity of Jesus as it's revealed to us in the Scriptures. So this is some of what John is saying here, that the Spirit of God will affirm that the Son came in the flesh, right? This is what all Christians universally believe, that God sent His Son Jesus as fully God, fully man. And if someone claims to have received another teaching or another gospel contrary to Scripture about the identity of Jesus, we can confidently say that it's not the Holy Spirit working in that person, right? Because the Spirit who loves the Son is never going to teach anything false about the Son, right? That contradicts the Scriptures. And lastly, and I want to spend just a minute on this. I'm going to share a couple more stories. The Spirit, it's very interesting in this passage that it's the incarnation that, you know, what Christians call the incarnation, that Jesus, that God became flesh. What, what, in not too long, what we'll be celebrating at Christmas. It's interesting that that's what's in John's mind as he writes this, as he talks about uh, the Son coming in the flesh. Now, John is probably writing against certain heresies, present in the church. Certain false teachings are in the background of this letter. But it's interesting that what's been handed down to us is this reflection of the Apostle John on the incarnation, on this particular aspect of Jesus that he came and was flesh among us. I think one of the biggest reasons for this is because, let me just give you a a, a phrase that that I love to say in gatherings like this, and it's not mine, I stole it from someone else. But there is no unchristlikeness in God, right? And if you really want to know who God is like, who do you look at? Jesus, right? Do you know this? That even the other revelations of God in Scripture pale in comparison to the revelation that we have in the Son, right? So Mount Sinai is wonderful. Who, who wouldn't want to see that, right? I mean... You know, the thunder and the smoke and the shaking and everybody's scared, and right? I mean, it is a manifestation of God on the earth, right? That happens at Mount Sinai. And yet, the author of Hebrews says, you have not come to a desert mountain, right? But to the living God. You have come to the revelation of God in Jesus. Jesus is infinitely better a revelation of who God is and what God is like than Mount Sinai ever was, right? 
If you want to know what God is like, then look at Jesus. And this is why, friends, even when we hear people teach the Scriptures, I, I, I mean this, even when we hear people teach the Scriptures, we teach passages in the Old Testament and the New Testament, if their teaching ever leads you to believe that God is not like Jesus, right? Then they are interpreting it wrong. And I do hear this all the time. It doesn't mean they're a false prophet or whatever. We all do it. But I'm just saying, I hear it all the time. It's like, well, God is like Jesus, but then there's these other sides of God in the Old Testament. No, I I say you got to reverse that. Whatever feels like other sides of God, you have to understand what that means in light of Jesus. Because Jesus is the filter, right? About what God is like. Jesus is the clearest picture of what God is like. Like Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he is the exact representation of his being. The clearest revelation, right, that we've ever received is from him. So how do we become discerning? I'm going to come down here just to talk to you for these last few minutes. So how do we become discerning? Well, here it is. We look at Jesus, right? It's that simple. Do you know, like we're talking about false spirits and spiritual warfare and all this stuff. Do you know what, what, what is one of the most effective things a church can do in spiritual warfare? It's just to gaze at Jesus, right? Um, you know how some off-brands of things you can get away with? Like I do all my shopping at Aldi. It's the grocery store in our community. I love Aldi. Anyone else here love Aldi? You guys have an Aldi? I love Aldi, Right? But there are some things Aldi just can't pull off, right? One of those things is Oreos. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, good try, Aldi. You know what I mean? But I could always tell the difference, right? Like, and it's interesting because Aldi actually sells name brand Oreos a good deal, right, in their store. It's like they know. You know, <laughs> that they tried, but you're going to be disappointed, right? I've never really had a good knockoff brand of Oreos. Like, when I want Oreos, I want an Oreo. You know what I mean? Like, I want the real thing, right? Um, well, there's a sense in which discerning the spirits is like this. It's like, listen, when you look at Jesus, right? When you worship Him, when you meditate on Him, when you get to know Him, when he works in your community, when he works in this group of relationships and you build a collective testimony to his goodness, that he's at work in the world, right? Then you know what the fake smells like. And it's not about your agenda or mine. It's not about what's comfortable or what isn't, right? It's not about our church experience. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about is it like Jesus or isn't it? And if it's like Jesus, even if I'm uncomfortable, I want it. Don't you? Even if it's Jesus and it's like I haven't experienced it before, I want it, right? Because I want to experience more of Him, right? Years ago, God gave me this prayer for our church. I'll give you the context. We had just lost someone in our church, a young father with kids. We had just lost a young father to kids to cancer. I want to tell you, we were not lacking in faith for his healing. We gathered for weeks and fasted and prayed and pressed in. People in our church were praying for this healing because even by this point, we had seen a good deal of healings at our church. Like we had seen some incredible testimonies of healing, right? And then we lost them, right? 
And so I actually had to leave town for a little bit. I was so, like, hurt, <laughs> you know? I had to leave town. He's, he's, now he has these young girls. They're going to be raised without their dad. Just all of the fallout, right, of this. And I know the theological answer is, you know, you probably do too, but you know what I mean. You hit these points in life where it's deeper than that right? Like, you, you know the answers, but it's like, you got to get with Jesus. He's got to tell you something, right? And so I just got away with a friend in another state. I'm just like grieving this. I'm just telling the Lord, like, I really thought you were going to heal him, you know? Like, where were you? And what about the people I'm leading? And we're teaching that you're a healer and like all of these things, right? Um, and God gave me a prayer. He, he spoke comfort to my heart. That's another sermon, but he gave me a prayer in that place, And here's what it was. He said, Joel, you pray until everybody has a personal experience of me as healer. This is an Alliance Church, right? Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, Coming King. Probably a lot of you know that. We would never be okay with someone having a secondhand experience of Jesus as Savior. Right? Well, it's okay that you haven't seen Jesus saved because the person over here did. So just rely on that. That would never fly in this church, would it? I think what gets taught is you need to experience Jesus as Savior. Like you can't just depend on someone else in the church. You can't depend on your parents or grandparents. You need to experience Jesus as Savior. I just heard the Lord say, you pray until that same reality manifests as me as healer. And God gave me this prayer that everyone would experience healing in their own body or see healing with their own eyes, right? Or healing would flow through their hands. But everybody in the room, would experience Jesus as healer, right? Um, That led me into territory of what I was comfortable with, what I was uncomfortable with, what I've seen, what I haven't seen, the way the Spirit of God might move among us. But it's not about any of that. This man, Jesus, is the fault line, and he is healer. So if any spirit comes to us and says that he is not healer, we reject that spirit as not from God, right? Right? Whatever spirit in the wake of that casualty is speaking in my ear, trying to tell me that this is not who Jesus is, we reject. Because the scriptures, the apostles have revealed to us, the spirit of God has revealed to us that this is who Jesus is. He's healer, right? Okay, I'm going to wrap this up. I've said too many things. Let me just wrap this up. So um, I think there's a real gift in becoming a discerning people. There's a real like treasure and learning to recognize Jesus. I'm being quick to recognize the real Oreos, right? Think about how much life is better because I know real Oreos exist, right? I'm glad I don't live in the world where I think all the Oreos are it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, praise God, you know what I mean? For Nabisco, right? And so, so think about how good life is for a group of people who can smell Jesus, who can taste him, right, who recognize him. I think, like, certainly this passage that we read today, there's, there's a word in the apostle for the protection of the church. It's like, be discerning because there's people out there who will take advantage of you. Be discerning because there's people out there who will deceive you and who will lie to you. Be discerning because the spirit of Antichrist is already working in the world, speaking deception to people, so be discerning. But I think the good news, kind of the other side of that coin is that discerning people are quick to recognize Jesus in their midst. I think that's what he wants, is a group of people who are, who are quick to recognize him. Let me tell you two very fast stories about how I think this plays out in churches. I was, I was in Nepal 
And we were training pastors to pray, which was kind of a joke because all these pastors are like going to villages and casting demons out of people and planting churches. I'm thinking, I'm going to teach you to pray. It's like, would you just pray for me? You know, that's kind of how it felt. Um, But we would teach on the filling of the Holy Spirit. And in, in this setting, man, when people are hungry for God, God comes. Like he's so generous with his presence with people who want him, you know. These people really had nothing else. They're so hungry for him. So I'm just, I teach on the filling of the Holy Spirit. I'm just like, Holy Spirit, come. And I'm telling you, this does not normally happen in my ministry, just full disclosure. Ministry is easier in Nepal. You can look way better doing ministry in Nepal, you know. But I was like, Holy Spirit, come. And it was like the room exploded. Like, Like people are crying and they're laid out on the floor and they're, filled with God's joy, and I'm just telling you what I saw. Was I completely comfortable with it? No, you know? But I could see that something was happening. There's all this manifestation happening in the room. And then over here, there's a, there's a young girl, and she's on the floor. She's like in uh, her uh, like late teenage years. She's on the floor, and she's acting like a snake. And let me tell you something, even in a room where all this stuff is happening, this is just my experience, just to let your your faith rise. In a room where all this stuff is happening, you might be familiar with it, unfamiliar with it, it actually has never been hard for me in those environments or for the people I'm with to tell what is God and what isn't. They're actually nothing like each other. Demons are nothing like God, right? And there's no unchristlikeness in God. If you want to know if it's from the Holy Spirit, ask is there any unchristlikeness in this? Would Jesus cause, humiliate someone in a room by making them act like a snake? Does that sound like something Jesus would do? Right? He might fill people with joy or power or laughter, or whatever, but would he humiliate this young girl over at the side of the room? There's no unchristlikeness in God. We can reject that as not being from God. Right? I, I'm just telling you, even in an uncomfortable situation, it was so clear what was from God and what wasn't. Now, I'm not going to get into the story of that young lady's deliverance. It's a whole other story. But she got beautifully delivered <laughs> and was worshiping you know, God by the end, right? Even in the midst of that. Now, I think if Jesus becomes the center, it means that we recognize, watch my train of thought here, it means we recognize when something demonic shows up in an environment of God's presence, right? That's what happened at this youth retreat I was just at. It happened to Jesus all the time. Guys, if, you, if this church really goes after God, you get hungry for God, you keep seeking Him, going after Him, you will have these manifestations in your gatherings. Like, it's, it's what happened to Jesus everywhere He went, right? These demons would manifest, right? So that's part of this, is that in environments with the Spirit of God is moving and Jesus is made wonderful and He's lifted up and we're worshiping and then something demonic manifests, we're able to recognize it. But that's only one side of it. The other side of it is, and watch this, is that when we go into places that really feel like the devil, we also gain this muscle of being able to recognize where the Holy Spirit is showing up there too. And that's how you and I get to participate with what God is doing in the world. These verses are not just about you and me being able to tell what is holy and isn't in church. It's about us being in places where the God of this age, the devil, has illegally claimed rulership in people's lives. But you and I have eyes of discernment to see that the Spirit of God 
is showing up in the midst of these places. One of my favorite places, there's a place in Atlanta that I I just love to pray at. It's actually the, the grave of Martin Luther King Jr. And I'll go there and I'll pray. And, um, and it's crazy because not far from Ebenezer Baptist Church, where all that history played out, not far from there um, is a little pocket of town, just a street or two, where there's a lot of heartache. There's a lot of addiction, a lot of homelessness, right? If you just walked a couple blocks from the church, you, you would see it. And Atlanta's a warm city, so it's out on the street, like all year round. Like sometimes you'll walk through there and there's someone high just laying there right, on on the sidewalk, right? But oddly enough, so many times when I've gone there, I've received a word from God there from the most unlikely people. There's so many, literally so many stories I could share with you today, but I'll just give you a quick one. I was there one night with one of my friends. This is towards the beginning of the pandemic. I was there with uh, one of my friends, and we were praying, and this homeless guy walks up to me, homeless, and is like, hey, I want to recite a poem to you that I wrote. Now, this is where we also need discernment because the question isn't, does this guy look like someone that the Holy Spirit would speak through? That's not the question. His look is not the fault line, right? It's not, does the smell of this man look, you know, fit with my idea of who God would use in my life, Right? Because his smell is not the fault. I might wish it was. You know what I mean? But his smell is not the fault line, right? The only question is, is what's going to manifest through this man's life? No matter how different he is than me, no matter how much of his life I don't understand, no matter how much of his life I'd be tempted to judge, the question is, whatever manifests through him, is it Christ-like? Because God can use anyone, guys. Right? So this man says this poem to me. Right? And he's getting into it. He's moving as he says this poem. And the poem is about the death of his 19-year-old son. And I don't remember all the circumstances, but I remember this, that he held his 19-year-old son in his hands as his son died. Right? And he wrote this poem about it. And actually, it wasn't just about the grief and the sorrow. It ended up being all this stuff about how God met him in that place. Now, I don't understand why this man's out on the streets. Like, I, I haven't lost a son, you know? I, I don't understand, you know, the choices he's made. I don't understand who this guy is, right? All I know is I heard something that turned the attention to Jesus in that poem. And friends, I can't make this stuff up, but I walked to my car after listening to that guy. You know, I gave him a few bucks. I walked back to my car, and my phone rings, and a 19-year-old kid that we had worked with for many, many years in Aliquippa, I got a phone call that he had been shot and killed. And I'm crying in the car with my friend. I'm calling people. You know, Chelsea and I have lost about 15 kids in our community now. It's, it's changed me. It's weakened me. And I'm on, I'm on the you know, phone crying with people, you know, trying to take care of this, you know, making sure the people are with the family, the police are involved. It's a mess, right? Like the whole thing. And all I know is when I look back on that night, and I, I was just thinking about this story on the way here, God sent that homeless dude to minister God's comfort to me. Who would have thought, right? 
that we learn to see Jesus' spirit everywhere, working in the most unlikely places, right? We do learn to recognize where demons are manifesting, but we learn to recognize God too. And that means we can receive from God everywhere he's working. It means we can participate with God everywhere he's working, right? All right, let's pray together. Well, God, I do sense your presence here this morning. Oh, we love you, Jesus. As a matter of fact, we just wait for a minute. We don't want to just talk about you like you're not in the room. Oh, Jesus, we love you. We bless you. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. God, I just feel um, so honored, even the history of this church, um, to be standing in a place that was formed as people learn to recognize the Holy Spirit. As people learn to say, yes, that's Jesus working in my community. Yes, that's Jesus. I, I might not fully understand it. It might not be my experience of church, but I recognize that's Jesus because the Holy Spirit is bringing attention to Jesus, cultivating love in our hearts for Jesus. Lord, I just feel like you have something special for this group of people. I feel like this discernment message isn't just about like protection. And please protect us. Lord, deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. We, we take it, be sober and alert. Make us sober and alert. We, we want all the protection that comes from being a discerning people. Like, I don't think that's only it. I think there's an invitation for these people, for this church, to discover the Holy Spirit working in the most unlikely places. In their schools, in their families, in the midst of addiction, in the midst of poverty, with neighbors that we think would never be the ones to experience God or to bring God to us. Lord, open our eyes to see where your Holy Spirit is showing up. Because Lord, maybe the, the worst tragedy of not being a discerning people isn't that we're open to demons or whatever, and um, God forbid that. We, we don't want that at all. But that might not even be the worst part. The worst part might be that we miss you. That when we're undiscerning, we miss you. That we don't get to see Jesus as the Spirit brings him to us. So God, open our eyes and our ears. Lord, I pray for this special gift. This was the passage today. So Lord, I'm praying that you'd make this real in the lives of these people. Discernment of spirits is actually a special gift (laughs) that some people have special grace for. God, fill this church with those kinds of folks. And forgive us for thinking that people are discerning just because they're rude or untrusting or prideful. That's not like Jesus. (laughs) So God, keep us from calling those people discerning. Instead, Lord, fill this church with people who are so full of love, so know what Jesus sounds like and smells like and tastes like that they would never settle for Aldi Oreos. (laughs) Fill this church with people who can bring the real thing, not only to other people in this church, but to their community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a great week.
I'm living for the world to see nobody but you.